Judy, it can't make that much difference to you. I just want to see what you No, know. I don't want any clothes. I don't want anything. I want to get out of here. Judy, do this for me. Here we are. Yes, that's it. I thought so. I don't like it. No, we'll take it. Uh, will, will the thing fit? Well, yes, it might need some slight alterations, but it's madam size. All right, dear. We'll have it for you to try on in a moment. How long will the alterations take? Well... May we have it by tonight? Well, if it's absolutely necessary. Yes, it is. Now, we'd like to look at a dinner dress, an evening dress, short, black with long sleeves and a kind of a square neck. Scotty, I certainly do know what you want, sir. Episode 31 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And uh, make sure to visit us at our website at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com. Oh, and uh, uh, can they email us? No. <laughs> um, as we're both sort of uh, lazy and time-constrained, we haven't even bothered to get a, uh, a podcast-specific email address together. But, well, I uh, think that it's because we don't really have much in the way of comments yeah, if we don't have many comments, then our incentive to put an email address up is even less. Well, we could probably generate an email address that could just shoot us an email, forward us an email to. Yeah, we could do that. Oh, that's such work, though. We're going to have to hire some. That's like five. We're going to have to hire some sort of Java guru to program that. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, some net specialist. I don't know. <laughs> well, you guys got to be Microsoft certified uh, net specialist technician, too. Yeah, right. Uh, accepting applications pays. Uh, Two and a half donuts a week. <laughs> Two and a half donuts a week? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if that's a little rich for my blood. <laughs> so, uh, this is sort of a timely review, uh, I would say. Uh, it's timely review? Timely. Uh, coincidental that we chose this film to review this week because the British Film Alfred Institute... Hitchcock died this week. Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock. Shit! <laughs> it's like when Bob Hope died. I thought Bob Hope was dead for like a decade, and then I heard he died. And then oh, I was like, yeah. shit, he was dead? Like, you- say... Same with Elizabeth Taylor and Ernest Borgnine. I thought they were, like, dead to the world. Oh, yeah. Ernest Borgnine died not long after we did one of his final films. I thought he was long gone. Oh, my God. We are the harbingers of death. We're like that cat in the nursing home back in New England that goes and visits, visits patients like a I half know. hour we, Somebody's got to call Kim Novak because she's about to croak. <laughs> I, she got, a uh, like, a star or something or put her hands prints and something down in Hollywood oh, earlier this year. Grauman's Chinese Theater. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was she, it, this is her a, only acting role or something. There's some weird tidbit that she didn't star in much. Uh, did she not do a whole lot of work? Boy, she's uh, pretty spry for uh, 79. Yeah, I saw that little DVD extra on the on the on the Vertigo. Oh, film. I didn't. There was a there was a real recent video. Uh, of Kim I think when it, after its restoration, like 97, 98. So they had an interview with her. Yeah. She oh, looking, I didn't watch that. Looking pretty young. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty well, uh, pretty well preserved. I mean, she has some. Had some plastic surgery, but uh, I, I hope who doesn't? I, I hope really? I'm, I'm hope I'm that spry when I'm 79. Me too. Not, I hope uh, I'm even alive. Not missing uh, both my feet from type two diabetes. Yeah, hope uh, I'm just alive. <laughs> I've come to the idea that it's not how old you are that really matters; it's when you die that really matters. So, <laughs> <laughs> so and it's no, uh, it, it's just because you're 40. If you die at 50, then it doesn't really fucking matter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I so guess that's how old point. you are. Um, no, the timeliness or the coincidence is that the British Film Institute released its uh, list of uh, top films of all times, 
and uh, Citizen Kane was knocked down to second, replaced by Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo as the number one film of all time. That's right. It's BFI, the British Film Institute. Right? BFI. Yeah. And I've I never say, heard of them, but I guess they're a rather prestigious film organization. Well, I thought they would have uh, loaded the dice anyway, because Hitchcock's a Brit. And, oh, he is? Uh, well, that shows you how much research I did for this film. Orson Welles is a uh, Yank. Mm. So I thought they would have long, uh, long. Well, I think this is what do they say here uh, on the article? I got the article here. Something like it's uh, 846 different film-related experts. That's a lot. Vote in. Are these all? They only like do it every ten years. Smoking jacket. They've done it for a long time. Smoking jacket and brandy kind of film critics. Yes, they say uh, 846 white male critics, programmers, academics, and distributors. All right. So, so not, sounds like a pretty good cross section of the populace. Not two dopey white guys in the basement reviewing no, stuff online. No, no, no. All right. Um, you know what? Though I'm like, thank God, because Citizen Kane bored the shit out of me, and I never liked it. Well, I never got through no, it. I mean. I mean, you can see it. You can see the same thing. I, I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, what people are raised with in the type of filmmaking sort of, you know, sort of primes them for watching films. And you can see it with Vertigo. It's so much slower than modern films that, uh, you know, we were we were we were raised in the MTV video games generation. MTV video games. <laughs> and uh, and it's slow. I mean, there was times where I yawned a few times in Vertigo. It's yeah. just—it's just my mind is, does not expect a shot to be held that long. Yeah, it doesn't act- expect this much pauses in between dialogue, and uh, you just—you uh, got to work over that. And if you're just talking to some twenty-two-year-old yabo, he's never going to fight through that. Uh, technical detail: average shot length in Vertigo, six point seven seconds. So. Yeah, and that must be a lot longer than modern days. Uh, like a Michael Bay film, which is on the millisecond scale of shots. Well, like a good film. Let's talk about Coen Brothers' average cut time. We don't have that number here, but it's got to be shorter. Yeah. And it's got to be longer in Citizen Kane. There was about a decade in between the two. Right. Um, well... I mean, there's there's some there's modern film techniques in this movie. I mean, we got that push-pull that became famous. That was, yeah, that was actually... Uh, in this movie. I don't know who... I don't invented know in this movie by... And I'm probably not going to be able to find the gentleman's name. Oh, there was a, that shot was invented it for was this invented movie? It was invented this, in this yeah, film. Yeah, wow. It's called, like, they call it the trombone... Uh, but isn't it a push-pull? Like an well, it's a push-pull, push and there's a few... Uh, names for it in um, uh, I guess different names for that technique uh, you call it push-pull um, it's know, also it's been a... no, known as uh, contra-zoom or the trombone shot and it was actually uh, an uncredited second unit cameraman Ermin Rob- Roberts uh, who worked with Alfred Hitchcock who invented this famous okay. I mean it's a pretty extreme example but I guess that's how it comes out, because it's been used more subtly in other films. It's rather quite nicely to be sort of a disturbing, yeah. real-time... A vertiginous in, in, effect, as as they would say. Of what? Vertiginous is... Uh, Vertigin what? Uh, as somehow vertigo-inducing. Oh, vertiginous. Can I yeah. play that in Words with Friends? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I gave up on Words with Friends, also. I don't know. People you got zealous. Played, man. Well, people got zealous, and then they were cheating, and I was like, fuck it. I can, I can, I'll destroy you. Yeah, well... And I'm a terrible speller. But that's what's great about Words with Friends. You can misspell it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you just keep pushing letters until you get some really weird, arcane yeah, word. Yeah, that's part of the game. That's just dumb. That's not the way Scrabble's played. Well, you, you only... What do you do? If you put a word in there and it doesn't accept it, you pass? 
because you failed? No, you just put another. You put a word in there until it gets accepted. And then, yeah. So you just start cramming fucked up letters together and. Oh, you like don't a like monkey. the fact that you can play weird two-letter words just because it'll take it. You, just, you don't want people playing that way. No, no, it's stupid. I give up. All anyway. right. Well, then I don't think we enjoy playing each other. Uh, no, no, I don't. I, don't I like to get all tricky dicky. Yeah, no, I'm I'm done. I'm done with words with friends. Uh, anyway, so um, but they had actually constructed for that zoom push zoom shot, constructed a scale model of the bell tower, and uh, so that was a scale model? scale model for the the vertigo effect with the stairwell. Oh, and did they set it on its side? I wonder. Yeah, they did. Because there were hands there. Were those fake hands? Those hands were the part that didn't move. Yeah. You see Jimmy Stewart's hands on the rail. And that's the part that stays still during this, sure. this push-pull. Sure. Were those model hands? No. I, I, it I'm, wasn't I'm that not, big of a scale. It was just a little small. I'm not, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. And it was scale enough that you could just put yeah. a tracked camera inside of it and yeah. then move it as you're zooming out. I bet they probably did it on the, its side. That would have been easier. To, they did do it on its side. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I could see. And the DVD extra I actually saw. The set? The, that part of it, a picture of that. Anyway. Oh, I gotta, I gotta, I should watch that. I, I looked at a couple of things. Yeah, sometimes I watch the extras and sometimes I don't. Uh, I watched I it. I usually check a couple out and if they're not, but they don't move me, I don't watch the rest of them. There's kind of a lot of verbal masturbation from Martin Scorsese about Vertigo and, you know, your typical sort of, yeah. I don't know. And I thought it'd just be a bunch of people complaining about how Alfred Hitchcock was a dick. <laughs> well, the greatest directors are dicks, I'm yeah. sure. So, um, I don't know. Alfred Hitchcock a dick? See if I, I didn't read him enough about him. He well, seems a little—he was, he was real demanding. Oh, well, but well, you'd yeah. expect that. Right. He didn't really care about people's feelings. It was all about how the film turned out. Yeah, shitty directors aren't just like <laughs> do the fuck whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. This is a ad lib. We're doing a little improv. Gonna... Yeah, yeah. There's no improv. Um, well, let's. Uh, Did we read the uh, no, synopsis? We're not even close. So okay. let me uh, let me read let's this. Let's move this along, man. Come on. One of Alfred Hitchcock's darkest and most compelling suspense films tells the story of police detective, detective Scotty Ferguson, actually John Ferguson, but he goes by Scotty. Is, a, is that because Ferguson's a Scottish name? It's really, yeah, it's got to be, because that Scotty Ferguson is pretty goddamn Scott, Scottish sounding. Okay. Um, played by James Stewart. And Stewart, Scottish last name. Maybe James Stewart had a little Scottish heritage in him. Definitely doesn't have any kind of, you know... It's all last name. That's all you can tell from James Stewart. Stewart's a Scottish old American man. That's all I think about. Who had uh, so Scotty Ferguson, who has a crippling fear of heights and an all-consuming obsession with a married woman. When an old friend asks his asks him to tail his wife, played by Kim Novak, Scotty is drawn into a vortex of deceit and murder. But that's only the beginning, as a mesmerizing score draws Scotty to the film's haunting final shot. That's it. So, um, yeah, all right. All right. So, uh, little M. Night Shyamalan esque. I mean, that's kind of it's M. Night Shyamalan is Hitchcock esque. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he sort of he sort of uh, you know ha- tries to put that sort of mystique forward. But and, there's, I, and we've we always we've talked about M. Night Shyamalan. But there's no rap. fantastical element to Vertigo. No, I th- I thought for a while there was going to be. But uh, the movie takes a nice twist, though it is a little bit of a complex maneuver uh, that Gav- Gavin tries to set up. It's, I would say, probably implausible. It's it's tough, but you know that's the, the things. Where great things happen. You set yourself up 
to for the implausible, and uh, it works out for him. I mean, it, it it does sort of backfire a couple ways because Jimmy Stewart falls in love with the the uh, the woman who played uh, yeah Gavin's the Maddie wife. the person Tim uh, uh, Tim Gavin who are you talking oh about? Gavin yeah the person that uh, Judy who's playing Maddie right but you know I, I didn't realize that uh, that twist until the flashback that Judy has were we supposed to see it beforehand. It's interesting. Because okay. I did not see it. I don't think it was foreshadowed. So uh, extrapolating, not extrapolating, but filling out the plot a little bit more more than that synopsis there. Um, so uh, Scotty is hired. He's a he's a he's he's like a detective on disability because he can't well, work anymore. The movie starts out with that great rooftop chase. Right. It's a really exciting beginning. I tell you, talk about. Uh, Grab your attention right at the beginning. It's With a nice shot of the one, bay right behind. Oh it. yeah, what hell of a what a hell of an opening scene where he has the vertigo and the cop falls to his death, and I mean that sets up it sets up him to retire early. Sure, because he's a man of means. I think he comes from a well-to-do family, right. so he doesn't need to work. Oh, I thought he would have been like cop disability or something like that. Uh I maybe it, it doesn't matter to him. I don't think money's a big issue for him. He can he can. Relax for the last forty years of his life. If he wants to. How old is he supposed to be in this film? Um, that's kind of one of the uh, what was one of the criticisms of the movie at the time. He's actually Jim Stewart is fifty years old when he played Scotty. That seems about. Um, yeah, I guess they're maybe supposed to be in their forties, early forties. Because Gavin and uh, Midge or Marjorie, his friend, uh, is uh, was actually the actress. Um, and the actress's name is well, Barbara Geddes. Yeah, is actually like 15 years younger than he is, and they're supposed to be like in school together. Yeah, in so together. so they're supposed to be in their late 30s. Yeah, but like that. he's actually Jim Stewart's actually 50. Okay, but I can I can see. Yeah, he doesn't seem older than I think he's trying to be, including his uh, his his buddy uh, uh, Gavin, played by Tom Helmore. He does seem a little older too, but maybe they're supposed to be around 40, yeah. possibly. And so it's. I'm surprised they didn't color his hair because he still's got the salt and pepper in there. Yeah, well, they would have taken uh, the salt and pepper out. I think it would have done better to make him look 40 instead of 50. Hitchcock threw Jim Stewart under the bus when the bad reviews came out for Vertigo, because uh, he it, there were some critics who said that Jimmy Stewart was too old, therefore it detracted from the uh, the, the love story that occurs because it just seemed weird. That he was oh, too because old. of the huge age difference. It didn't it didn't seem believable enough? I guess, yeah. Uh, it was it stretched a little bit because you know uh, Maddie's supposed to be twenty six, yeah, and that means that Gavin married into a rich family. He was all probably already pretty comfortable since the, it sounds like they went to a private school. They come from well to do families. Yeah, so why would he have married? That means well, you know, well, I, don't, Kim, I don't think it's that unusual, especially for those days. Kim Novak was twenty four when she played uh, uh, Madeline Judy. Yeah, I mean. I, I don't know. I didn't think it, it it was a little slightly irksome. I don't think it hurt the film terribly much. No. Obviously, it's trans. the, the film has transcended all that. But uh, anyways, you do have to do a little mental ignoring how Jimmy Stewart looks. Sure. To say he's 40. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Uh, and so uh, he's hired by Gavin, an old college friend, to uh, his wife has an interesting condition, which is that she believes she's... Uh, 
inhabited by the spirit. She doesn't believe it. She is. She is inhabited. she's unaware of the inhabitations. Right. Inhabited by the spirit of uh, Carlotta Valdez or Valdez. Or yeah, what's yeah, her Valdez. Name? Valdez. Carlotta. Yeah, and uh, believe me, I, I, I bought that hook, line, and sinker. Oh, I did too. All the way through. Sure. All the way to her supposedly jumping out of that bell tower and killing herself. Right. To all the haunting stuff, like in the Redwood Forest. Yeah, and uh, the hotel scene, which was very... Uh... Oh, where she... Yeah, that is an interesting scene. He's following... I mean, there's three times where he tails her before they, before they hook up. And the first one, she drives to this hotel, the hotel whatever. And, uh, yeah, and you see her go in and go up to a room and sit. And then he goes in, and the uh, she slips out the back or is that, something. Is that what happens? It's got to happen. Well, that the way. woman at the front desk doesn't remember her coming in, so she must have slipped in. But it was it, it did. I mean, I think it was purposeful maneuver by Hitchcock. It made me think that oh, but there really is something supernatural going on. That he's actually was following a specter there, possibly. Right. Uh, it's unsettling, and I, I thought this film was going to go supernatural the whole way through. I did too. I don't think uh, maybe the one tell is that I don't think Hitchcock ever dealt with the supernatural at all. Um, while his uh, films kind of have this uh, implausibility, um, I don't think he ever delved into the supernatural or fantastic. Um, I, I, to be honest, I've only seen like three other movies besides this one. I've seen Birds, which I watched recently, by the way. Oh, really? And is this same? Is, is Novak in that? I don't know. No. Isn't there a blonde in that movie? There is a blonde, and I don't know who she is. But uh, besides the creepiness of the birds and the whole birds weird thing, uh, the woman is a really bizarre character of study. Like, she's obsessed with this guy that she just briefly met in San Francisco prior to the, you know, the, the whole birds descending upon the town. It's really interesting, though. Like, that, the, the person, because you're like, yeah, she's really weird. You know, and uh, good movie, but there's no fantastic elements in the birds. Psycho, obviously, no fanta- fantasy yeah, elements. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'm not familiar with his whole oeuvre, so. Eh, well. Um, but but anyways, I guess I wasn't. I didn't do that math when I was watching this. Oh, I didn't either. No, so I didn't either. I, I wasn't going, wow, that's probably not, because he doesn't do it in his other films. I wasn't thinking that. Sure. I thought we were straight up supernatural. Yeah, I did too. And that twist just, uh, I, I actually rewound it. So when Judy turns to the camera, she has this weird, horrified look on her face. It is really a disconcerting look. So basically, after uh, uh, Maddie supposedly kills herself, Jimmy Stewart goes down a rabbit hole of mental instability. He's diagnosed with acute melancholia. Oh, God. You know, that scene really took me out of of the movie there for a second, where uh, uh, Midge goes in to talk to the psychiatrist because uh, Jimmy Stewart's institutionalized for a few months. Yeah. Because he stops talking right. after this. And after he gets ripped a new one by the judge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was an interesting That court. is brutal. That, seemed, that is brutal. Oh, yeah. Especially co- knowing that Gavin set him up for this. Uh, it's interesting because it seemed like a hokey court to me. You had seven jurors who deliberated right in the room with the defendants. Well, I don't think it was... Nobody was on trial. I think it was an inquiry, grand jury, to, to okay. uh, establish the cause of death. Okay. So I All think right. it was more of a grand jury yeah. where they just had to, they had to have some lay people review the findings of suicide and go, yeah, it's 
was suicide. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was on trial. Yeah. Totally hung him out to dry, though. Like just. Oh man, that judge just ripped him. And I oh, think... it was so. It was. It was really good. I was thinking about taking a cut to open the, uh, the movie with that. But it. It. You know, there's something about Jimmy Stewart's character. He's a, he's an asshole, and he's he's he's. I don't know what it is. He's just not very likable. He's he's sort of pitiable, I guess. But I don't even want to pity him. I just want to not like him. In well, this movie. Well, okay, so yeah, you're right. I, and I, and having him that scene where he just gets he gets his weakness, his fault, just gets somebody. It's like somebody he had a bum knee and somebody's just beating on him with a bamboo stick right on that knee. That judge telling him off for being weak is it, it makes it a little too easy to pity him. Uh, well, what made him unpitiable before? I mean, what made him unlikable? He is pitiable. He's unlikable, though. Well, he's, he's sort of a, he's a, he's a product of privilege. Sure. You can tell that. He, uh, he doesn't, uh, he's not interested in, I mean, obviously he has a good friend in Midge. But. Who but, has, who wants to explore something more. But he's just a, uh. He's well, just, he's sort of a playboy. Yeah. He's just a guy taking it easy. Sure, he was a police detective, but I don't think it was more than a flight of fancy for him to be a police. He had to do something with his life, and I, I can't. I can't really. Uh, uh, I mean, by default, if you come from a place of privilege, and uh, it's a tough to like somebody like that, and I don't want to pity somebody who had so much of his life handed to him. Is there uh, any unlikability that's involved with his? Um interactions with Madeline in the first half of the movie? Well, you know, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he is domineering, and I wonder if that's more of a product of the time, or if that's something a, a, well, something Hitchcock did, because he, he is, I mean, the way he looks at Maddie, like he wants to rip her clothes off and... Fuck the shit out of her. Yeah, just, just bend her over uh, the hood of his car and go at it. It's just sort of, it's sort of it. It's a little I mean, there's jarring. A, there's a dark place in old guys guys don't like to talk about it it's not really it's not really acceptable it's well, it's admitting order. it's admitting weaknesses also no i don't think so much of that i'm talking like the where guy i mean if we go back a couple hundred years i think guys were a little more free to be what is naturally men's behavior which is domineering you know only really interested in sex sure not really interested in, in being a friend to their lovers it's just, uh, and I think that's, a, I think that's more of a natural human behavior, and I mean society, which is fine, where you can't really dominate the female sex. I think it's a natural position in humanity. I think it's the natural way things were probably for thousands of years, uh, and but there's still all that. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me. I don't. Know, maybe I'm a sicko or something. But it, you still have those feelings. Sure. You still sort of feel like that. Yeah. Even though you know, it, you know, you can't go out and, and dominate women and just, you know, I mean, if you go out and just take women, you'd be like a rapist or, or something. a pimp. Yeah, or a pimp, or or just an abuse somebody who is abusing their wife or something like that. Even though I think that may be more natural behavior for. Yeah, for, we've gotten more civilized even in the yeah, past so fifty there's years. Some, there's, you wrap yourself in civility and you control yourself. It's just part of life, right? You know, you got to exert self control, but. Uh, he seems like he's that sort of animalistic man. It's a little more closer to the surface with him. Yeah, he's... It's sort of creepy. You hate seeing it. Like, you see it in guys' eyes, and it creeps you out. It's like, hey, man, put that away. 
Right. You it's like you you're don't, you don't you don't let that side of human masculinity out in the wild. It's like you're 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 starting to draw a weapon or something. You're like, yeah, oh, it's hey, like man. he's pulling out he's pulling out a sword. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you chill that shit out? Yeah. It's like, hey man, we keep got that, some business keep that to wrapped care. up. You know. Exactly. Maybe, maybe you let that out a little bit when you're hot and heavy with your lover. But that's about it. That's the only place that should ever be at. Or the uh, construction site. It's just creepy. Construction site. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe there's certain sex in society where you can let it hang loose. Or maybe hanging with the guys. I guess. But, but even uh, when I'm hanging with the guys, we don't know, like, ooh, I'd like to bend her over. I mean, you know. But there's I, guys like that. Sure. But in truth, you would like to bend her over. Right. But you don't want to talk about it. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't even like to... Uh, you don't even like to acknowledge it. It's like you're uh, somebody else is injecting barbarity yeah, it's just, into it's your just the animal side of you. I mean, it's your old fantasy. brain. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, look, I mean. So uh, there's the scene uh, where uh, she dumps into San Francisco Bay underneath the underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, and then he drags her back, mm-hmm. soaking wet, to his uh, apartment. Assumingly, strips her down and puts her in the bath. And puts her in the bath. Well, she's just like, I think and so. He just puts her in bed. Oh, well, I don't okay. Think he bathes her. No, that, I don't. To warm her up, I don't. Know. Plus, she she had to be faking it the whole time too. On top of all that, right? Because she was faking this hypnotic state she got into. So she must have been faking being unconscious. I don't know. When he undressed her, it's oh weird. Oh my that, god! I well, didn't think about that. Well, it's weird that she he, threw herself in there, and she admits that she's a strong swimmer later when she comes out as Judy. So that means she was faking being in such distress. Of course. So he, oh, but she was already sort of fall. God, but they hadn't really had any interaction. Well, it's weird then. because she's back at his apartment. If you saw a woman jump into the water, mm-hmm. we're talking like. 2012 man, not 1958 man. Saw a beautiful woman you've been tailing for, you know, professional reasons in this case. Yeah. Um, suicidal, jump into the water and go unconscious. You would call 911 or that would be like your yeah, first drag thing. Her, well, yeah, I mean, there's no cell phones. You take it maybe to the hospital or something? Yeah, take it to the hospital. But I guess it was sort of a, he was, remember, you got to remember that uh, his friend had sort of sworn him to secrecy. So... Oh. Take her to the hospital might have put her into the, you know, a Gavin. Made it legal, made it... Might, might, might have put her into the, the mental health system. It, well, it would have been, he would have been better off for it, because it probably might have exposed the ruse on top of that. But Gavin would have been disappointed. Gavin's an old... Even though he's getting fucked by Gavin. Right. He's, uh... It's still sort of a, uh... An honor system, where he has got to take care of it. He calls Gavin right away. You know, it's a good chance that he brought her... He got her in the car, brought him to his apartment, called Gavin. Like, what do you want to do? And Gavin well, goes, well, you know, just warm her up and get her back later. It's interesting because, because he's on the phone with him, and it was not the first time he called him. Gavin called him. So oh, you're guessing true. when he got there and got her into bed that he called Gavin. Right. Like, hey, Gavin, what do you want to do? She fell into the water. I'm worried about her. She's cold. I put her into the bed to warm her up. Or even before that, he goes, well, get her, get her warmed up and make sure she's stable, then just bring her back home. Uh, it's interesting. So, I mean, you could say it's creepy, and it is in this movie, but not, and it would be creepy if somebody just did that. Like, if you're down at the park and some random hot right. blonde threw herself into the ocean. And, and, then and, you fished her out, she was unconscious, <laughs> you brought her home to your basement. Yeah, right. And then put her in four-point restraints. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's not what I was thinking about. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's just what's weird, is that... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it would, 
it would be improper. You so, wouldn't do it. You take her to the hospital. So right? I, watch, but you, can, you can understand the plausibility of what he did in this story. Watching it through the lens of 1958 and this whole, I mean, that's a that's two generations behind us. Sure, what was considered proper etiquette for a man, for the female man, has changed a fair amount. So watching this from the 1958 perspective, would you go, would you question the creepiness of that scene? Well, no, it's creepy. But it's not, it's not what he did that's creepy, it's how he looks at her. Yeah, he's he just, looks at there with those lustful eyes. You see guys do it. Hell, I've done it. Looked at somebody that way, and you gotta not do that. Sunglasses, especially in when public, like dude. in your 20s or something. Sunglasses in public. Well, he's got, it's, he was he's leering at her, and uh, I mean we're talking about this old animalistic nature of masculinity bubbling up. That's letting it get too close to the surface. Uh, some real good acting there by Jimmy Stewart. Though. I think it was. I mean, I can't imagine that. He was just acting in what would be considered normal behavior for the time. Now he's leering at her. It, it, it's it's, and I think Alfred Hitchcock knew that. It's supposed to be unsettling. Sure. Was it as unsettling to a nineteen late nineteen fifties audience? I mean, probably not. Sure. It's certainly unsettling now. Yeah, is, yeah. is that anachronism, or is it a conscious decision? I think it had to be conscious, personally. Well, it's integral to the story. He continues with that sort of behavior for the rest of the film. With Ju- well, Judy especially. Yeah, with Judy especially. Stalks he her. really cranks it up to another level. That's why I wanted to get a little bit of his, the asshole nature of him, which makes him unlikable. So, uh, talking about the mechanics. So, uh, there's this ruse going on. And it's it's an incredibly detailed ruse that Gavin perpetrates using Judy, which is to this weird facade of like uh paranormal that goes along with this uh, her assuming Carlotta Valdez's psyche or uh spirit and chasing it down throughout the first part of the movie so yeah, she goes to job. the palace of legion the palace of yeah, the art gallery the art gallery which is an actual San Francisco location uh as most of these yeah, some great location are. stuff around uh Around uh, San Francisco, San it'd be fun to uh, if you really loved Alfred Hitchcock. There must be plenty of people that hit all these locations when they go to San Francisco, and they're all highly detailed, like Scotty's apartments at the uh, uh, just just below the windy part of Lombard Street. Was that shot in a real apartment? Yeah, yeah, and that 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 view of Coit Tower is actually real. So that, okay. that if you go into his apartment and you look out the window, that apartment's you, still there. I bet people go by and check it out. Oh yeah, I mean it's actually. A really nice kind of mid-century design that his apartment. Yeah, you can see that the modern sleek lines with getting rid of all the frilliness. Yeah, in design and, and keeping, I love keeping things square. And you love that sort of time period. That's where your house is sort of that. Time yeah, period. mid-century. Our house, nineteen fifty-four. Yeah. Clean lines, little lower ceilings. Uh, Fireplace the, was great. Everything's you know. There's not so much. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just a lot of clean, clean, straight lines. A lot of Scandinavian influence with the furniture. You know, yeah, I like that stuff. I yeah, thought it was great. Nice, nice pad. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of locations. Uh, the Presidio uh, is featured in this. Um, the uh, obviously the location on the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Uh, Palace of Fine Arts is a scene when him and Judy are dating, quote unquote. Um, I guess they're dating. It's just that weird. Oh, when they go, when they go dancing. Uh, I, I forget, but they're walking in front of the Palace of Fine Arts, which is a beautiful building. Uh, in. San I've only been to San Francisco once. I've been there a handful of times. Mm. Uh, my grad school buddy 
Dr. Harker and I went to uh, the Palace of Fine Arts. They have a huge science museum there, like kids' science museum there. Yeah. Uh, called I forget what it's like, the Exploratorium or something. We spent like literally like three and a half hours in there because we're both like physics were you like, students. Get out of my way, you goddamn kids. Yeah, like pushing little kids out of the way and, you know, <laughs> trying to figure shit out. And it was kind of fun. I mean, for an adult, like uh-huh. with a science degree, like there's stuff still there that's really cool. Well, maybe I'll take a little trip down to San Fran. It's also huge for wedding photos. The Palace of Fine Arts is like uh, wedding photo central. So you'll be walking through there and there's that big domed kind of Monticello looking building and then all these... Uh, columns and arches and so you're walking through there and it's just lousy with uh, wedding parties getting their photographs done there there was also this weird performance artist who was balancing like rocks on top of each other like these cairns but they're oh yeah he has these crazy cantilevers yeah yeah it's crazy that's interesting but but the one day i spent there was after a fish concert that was a little bit of a daze i would imagine yeah uh a beautiful city actually hitchcock thought called it the uh Paris of America. He, th- he thought it was a classic a city. It. Yeah, it's beautiful. He lived there for quite a while. And as a result, it's fucking expensive. So Yeah. Well, you know, you can just go live in Oakland. <sighs> Take the bar to that'd be That'd suck. and just be like too tantalizing. Live in Oaktown? Deal with. Well, you know, it's a lot cheaper. Well, it's interesting because they make reference to uh, uh, where... Uh, Gavin's shipyard is, which is south of the Mission District, and that, or south of Mission Street, and the Mission, or south of, there's some road that cuts through north-south San Francisco, kind of the dividing line between, uh, kind of the, the gentrified part of town and sort of the, uh, more seedy chunk of town. So back who's in the, the seedy chunk? Is that where Judy's apartment is? Uh, no, that's where Gavin is. I think some references. Oh, the shipyards. There. Yeah, the shipyards. Yeah, yeah, well, he's down there because that's his family business. But now that's all, like, kind of artist loft space and there's just not a square inch I mean they're not building huge seagoing vessels in San Francisco shocking yeah (laughs) there's not like a square inch of San Francisco that's uh, doesn't have a nice house on it uh, the South San Francisco you get a little bit more affordable but uh, even for a rundown uh, house you're probably still clipping around seven eight hundred thousand dollars yeah and and the weather's not that great (laughs) I remember I was there with my folks and we were walking uh, off Van Ness towards a, uh, some condos to, to see a friend who lived there. And uh, we were walking by, and it was like, you know, um, uh, what's that sitcom? <laughs> you doing a funny walk. Yeah, we were like walking past, uh, what is it, like Full House? You know, like, like that. Oh, that uh, by the park? Yeah, there's the park, and then there's these these beautiful Victorian uh, houses, BMWs sitting in the yeah, driveway. Yeah. And then we walked through, like, I, 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 I shit you not, like two blocks of ghetto. It was oh. just like... Two blocks of, of, like, ungentrified space with, like, a convenience store, nasty-looking public housing, you know, people hanging out on the steps. Yeah, uh, you, you tear it down eventually. Like, down in South Lake Union, you know, they're building up here in Seattle. Uh, they just condemned, like, sort of these uh, crack house-looking places that are down, like, a couple blocks away from the big Amazon headquarter. You know, right. they're going to put up, like, a business mixed... You know, uh, building there, I'm sure, as soon as they get those things tore down to the ground. Yeah. That's just part of the gentrification process. It was funny, though, because it's like two blocks, square blocks of ghetto. Yeah. And you would feel intimidated, but you look behind you, and it's uh, uh, these amazing San Francisco houses, and then in front of you is brand new condos, and there's just this little pocket of ghetto. Yeah, it's it's sort of a problem with cities. You really need to mix 
the poor and the wealthy together to really have a healthy city. That's where gentrification causes some problems. It pushes all the, the working class out of the city. So I know it's a weird thing in San Francisco because they have like the highest minimum wage. It's like a twelve dollars an hour. Or they, something have, like that. they have problems staffing like their Wendy's restaurants. Right. Yeah. Because everybody's got to commute in from Oaktown. Exactly. Yeah. That's the only. That's the only location of cheap labor is in yeah. Oakland. Yeah. You know, and that's not an easy commute at yeah, all. Yeah. That's, that's a long Bart ride. Uh, so we're treated to nice uh, th- shots of fifty-eight San Francisco, which I thought was interesting because uh, I haven't. It looked, it looked a lot like modern San Francisco, to be quite honest. It did, actually. Uh, oh, except for the amount of... Mi- I never saw a dude in this film without a suit on. Not one. Yeah, people like to wear suit and hats. Suit and hats. I think we're just I think we're just getting over that. That's the funny thing about Midge in this film. Now, I'm really confused about that character and why she's in this film, Midge. Here, but there's one scene, talking about hats, is uh, he's going to go out with... Midge and him are going to go check something out. It's like when he's first uh, following Maddie. He has some questions for her. Oh, they go to the bookstore talk to the old German Arg- guy. Argosy. Yeah, the old German intellectual. And uh, goes, you want me to get your hat? And she goes, I don't need a hat. She's sort of a, a uh, modern woman. Right. But um, maybe that's why he doesn't want to get with Midge, because he can't dominate her. No, I, he needs well, a, he needs a woman he can dominate. Here's the whole thing, at least the way I read it, and some of the back the midge stuff. The midge stuff. Midge. All right, see, see if I because I can't make heads or tails uh, of it. The whole thing about Scotty's character is that he has never been in love before. That's that's sort of what they're trying to portray with Midge because Midge was he was engaged to her for three weeks, but he wasn't in love with her. But he wasn't in love with her, so that all fell apart. And so he the idea is he's been sleeping around. I guess. I do He's not di- chased. Uh, no. I don't get that. Now, if you're... Well... He's been boning some chicks, but he's never... Obviously, he has he, no... He falls... I can't... I don't see... Well, anyways, go ahead. Obviously, he has no inhibition of chasing chicks down on the street. Yeah, so, so it means it's not all of a sudden at age 40, right. he decided he's going to get crazily in lust with some blonde-haired ice right. queen. Right. But go ahead, read the rest of this. Oh, I'm not reading anything. I'm oh. just saying that, that, that Marjorie was that character that basically is there to show that this this Scotty character has never really been in true love before. Well, I can see that. I mean, I don't think he's ever in true love. I don't think he's capable of love. Well, All he can really do for women is be lustful after them and dominate them. That's, I mean, the only reason he really maybe falls for the Maddie character because she's so fucked up that he needs somebody he can dominate and it's great to pick some I mean a lot of these like we're talking about guys being abusive in relationships a lot of times abusive guys they pick really weak women that they can just sure they can that are easy to manhandle I mean I'm talking like emotionally well and and Maddie maybe that's why maybe that's why he's falling for Maddie and Maddie's extremely as the character that Judy plays, assuming uh-huh. there's not a lot of difference. I'm I'm kind of Judy, Judy Madeline. There's a lot of crossover there. Yeah, there there is a there is a weird crossover. It's not a complete role, but he sees a woman that he can basically be be her whole world. Sure, and then that way dominate. It's not dominated by beating. It's dominated by I will take you in and you'll become what I want you to become. You're a blank vessel for me to fill. That's creepy. And that's what he wants out of a woman. Well, also, she's extremely... I mean, who would want to be with Jimmy Stewart's character? 
Uh, who would who, what would who would want to be in a relationship? He's fine, maybe for a buddy. That's what Midge has sure. him for. But it, it, to be in love with him, he does. He he wants nothing. I mean, look how he treats Judy. You could say it's just because he's obsessed with that dead woman. I'm saying it's his character. He needs a woman that he can domineer in every. He wants a blank slate that he can take in and make his little treasure. Okay, so uh, there's there's the whole role that Judy plays as Madeline, which, to me, you'd either have to hire a top-notch actress as Gavin to get uh, that role <laughs> That role so perfect. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. Which yeah. is interesting how he picked her for one, how he groomed her for two, and uh, the lack of forethought of keeping her in the same town as, as Scotty afterwards seems really bizarre. So money's not an issue with Gavin. Sure. The issue... Is you're in, you're involved in an illegal activity? You want to murder your wife? Yeah, you can't just hire the best actress to play this role because they're going to be an accessory to murder. Correct. You got to find somebody weak, somebody on the fringes of society to but, hire. But but you have to. I mean, you have to do. You have to make sure that he is never. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not suspicious of anything. Yeah, she, he, he should have just set her up with a nice place, you know, up in Portland or something when this was all over with. He shouldn't have left Judy in town. Right. Well, You get the feeling that after it was all done, he sort of took told Judy to hit the bricks. Uh, well, he didn't give her any money. That's for sure. She's living in kind of a rundown. Yeah, she's uh, working a, like a point-of-sale job. That's what happened. I mean, she says as much is that, uh, that basically after it was all done, he told her... Take a hike, bitch. What are you going to do? Go to the police? Yeah, you're an accessory to murder. Yeah. Yeah. I said, fuck you. And he left. Which means that Judy's probably a victim of those kind of men anyway, so. There we go. Right. She's weak. She's a weak person. And (laughs) the abusive prey on the weak, that's how it works. Yeah, right. If you're an abusive person, you look for somebody weak. So she's basically pimped out by Gavin to do this for her. Yeah, he's just taking advantage of somebody in the lower classes. And, and so maybe he had an affair with Judy and convinced her that we'll knock off yeah, the I don't, wife. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a fight that Gavin boned her a few times. Yeah, and we'll knock off the wife and run away together. Maybe yeah. that was the deal. Yeah, and she's like, I mean, some poor farm girl from Kansas? Oh, that's right, Selena, Kansas. That's right. You uh, get her backstory. Look. Yeah, welcome to the real world, Judy. You, and you get to live in a nice... There's a ho- bunch of rich dicks out there. You get to live in a nice hotel, which... And I forget the name of the hotel, but it has since changed. The hotel we always see that Judy comes out... Or uh, Madeline comes out of is... And I don't have that at my fingertips. But um, it's been renamed a few things since 1958. But it is now the Hotel Vertigo. Oh. So, well, who are the real losers in this film? Uh, Judy. And the real Maddie. Who really get fucked over? Oh yeah, Maddie. That's right. We we never we never meet Maddie. Yeah. She just they're dies. the two people who lose their life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Poor Judy. Yeah, she's. Uh, What's she supposed to do? She doesn't know any better. She's not in a position of power in any way. And uh, yeah, that's right. And be quite honest, with you, she sort of leads herself into it. This is one. She should have hit. She should have. When she ran into uh, Johnny again, she should have hit the bricks. Oh yeah. Well, and here's the other interesting thing. So when she's writing that letter. She shouldn't have torn it up and go, well, maybe I can rekindle this under a different ruse. So we, when is the point where Scotty realizes that Judy was actually Madeline? Yeah, that point is a little unnerving in this film because you just 
don't see where Scotty, he's, he's so into his fantasy that I'm just surprised that necklace could shake him out of it. And then for and him, that's not, it. Well, and he, then, he sees the necklace and immediately all, all you, all that crosses his face is like a poker face. And then he comes up with a plan to confront her uh, and beat his vertigo at the same time. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? It is. The way he so quickly turns on a dime, I... All right, well, I guess we're just going to have to accept that's what uh, Hitchcock wants us to accept about his character. I just don't think you see his character as being strong enough to shake himself out of this dazed, dreamlike world he's created. Right. He's, yeah. he's living in a fantasy world. Well, for like here, the last the last six months of the film, he has a he has a break in his psyche, and then he goes into a fantasy world, and he can just cut himself out of it like that. I don't right. see. I don't think and, he's strong enough. And make her confront because he's sort of weak himself. Very weak because yeah. he can't control you know sort of the, the animal side. Well, of and the whole part about this movie is like there's the big thing about obsession and obsession. I. It seems like obsession is 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 sort of the playground of the young. I I I always sort of dismiss, like. Yeah, I mean, it is a little bit of a f- weird game for a forty-year-old to be playing. And it doesn't seem. Uh, it just doesn't seem as probable to me. And maybe that's because I, I don't know. Like I'm just a burnt out shell of a man in my as I near 40 here I I, I don't know but it, it, it always seems like when we talk about obsession it always seems like I remember being obsessed as a young man about I would call them unattainable girls at that age they were really yeah, women I mean, we had our but, we had our romances that they weren't the best idea no they weren't the best idea but you're young and and you know you get obsessed and it's the whole obsession thing is kind of a bizarre oh yeah and I, I, I've it's never a dark, dark place. And I've never been back there since. I'll say it that way. Well, I think a lot of people. I mean, maybe that's the case for you. But I think a lot of people maybe they can't quite dismiss their obsessions. And the only thing I can say is that their wiring's bad. That there's something that like maturity hasn't extinguished with that. Yeah. In I mean, yeah. I think a dysfunctional I think, way. Yeah. Just imagine carrying some of those feelings continuing through life. Right. I mean, that's just the case for. I mean, his wiring is bad. Well, because okay, he's if not. I, the, he's not. He doesn't have the strongest psyche. If I got Johnny's hired for this, sort of broken. If I got hired for this gig, I would be like, even if Madeline was showing kind of attraction to me, I'd be like, she's really fucked up. Yeah, she is a messed up. She's suicidal. Look, I'll do her, but I'm not going to marry her. <laughs> she's suicidal. She's married. Boy, and I, I, I know, but man. Do you remember Judy's in that green dress? Yeah. Just Not, huge no, well, pendulous breasts. That's one thing amazing. I always liked about the 50s. Ooh, I do like man. the 50s standard of beauty, the uh, the the voluptuous kind of Marilyn Monroe. It's weird how different she looks when she puts on that gray business suit versus and that in, was, that, in, that, in that sort of mossy green because she looks like so well, different like and that was done women. that was done for effect because everybody knows that gray is not a blonde's best friend and so uh kim oh, novak when i didn't know that well it's it was just, it's a it's a bad combo you can tell watching this that blonde and gray yeah, it's right. not working and uh yeah. kim novak was well, it certainly make doesn't make her look as quite as voluptuous i mean she looks so when she's in that green dress she looks so fertile 
Uh, like you blow on her and she'd get impregnated. Kim Novak actually uh, questioned Hitchcock about it. I was like, why? Gray's terrible. I was like, it's got to be Gray. God damn it. And, uh, <laughs> um, and I think it was done for that reason you just mentioned, to bring out that contrast when you do yeah, see her in the Yeah, she looks so dress. much thinner. Right in the gray than in the in the green. I mean, uh, she's just so voluptuous in that green dress. It's just amazing. Hitchcock was uh, masterful with color. That was one of his his chief. When he got a hold of Kodak Technicolor, which is a wonderful looking film. So when did uh, yeah you know you can see that the the color chemistry wasn't quite there in this film, but damn, it's close. This is a restored copy of the yep. film that was meticulously restored in 1996. You think, think the colors were better then when it came out? I think it's the the version we watched was better than the original. I think it was color heightened. wise, and the colors still weren't quite right. right. The chemistry wasn't there yet. Kodak hadn't done all that work yet to get it perfect. But Technicolor always looks great. I don't like it. It well, it's it's not a, like it's not uh, it's not Kodachrome. No, but it has a nice height. Those reality. colors, yeah, it catches certain colors. I think it's sensitive. It's a little. Its sensitivity color is a little different than the eye sensitivity color, so it renders the world a little askew from what we would consider a real color rendering. And I like that. I like I the mean, look. That's all right. It doesn't look like reality looks. The blues are wrong. All the colors are wrong. I don't, I don't think the dyes have the same, you know, sensitivity to like the rhodopsin in our eyes. I've water. always wondered why. Well, like, hell, we don't even use film any longer. Yeah, I've always wondered why somebody. Uh, you know, we have the ability to create any film we want electronically while somebody doesn't do a retro Technicolor movie or film in retro Technicolor. Well, people play with colors all the time. Well, Wes Anderson does uh, amazingly, but he doesn't. He does? Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of color going on in his yeah. films. Yeah, and people, people tone stuff. Remember Pitch Black? That was a great movie that played with color. Yeah, a little washed that was, out, that was probably done. That was probably done in the chemistry. That was probably done in chemistry. The bleaching effect. Oh, the different colors. I mean, you, you see it in this film where the processing of the film, where like he, Hitchcock meets a strobing red or strobing green. I'm sure that was done at developing in the film, where they left other colors, some colors undeveloped, and only like only developed the green channel for 20 feet of film. Oh right, right. Also, there's a nice uh, animated sequence. I thought. Oh yeah, the film was animation in it for his nightmare. Oh, with the uh, with the uh, the flower bouquet that sort yeah. of like the, I was I look I watched that twice. It's like, what the fuck are these shapes in here? Because I thought maybe he'd do something lurid in the shapes. But the only thing I caught were petals and cuffs. Okay. Men's shirt cuffs. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting, nice little, vi- like, segue. I mean, it goes to his break, obviously. Yeah, that's his... where he does a lot of that weird color processing. Yeah, but the, uh, the, the, the animated sequence, I thought, was really... Yeah, that's... I wonder if people did animation motion films. Well, but... Disney was, of course, the... Well, big. I mean, animation, mixing animation into it. You see it every once in a while. It's always really neat when people do it. Yeah. I'm surprised people don't do it more. I mean, like, you think of like, Kill Bill. Had yeah, that Kill great Bill had that anime, nice little anime vignette. Six, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was a little more of a longer cut. Sure. Yeah, I like that. I, I, th- I think it... Uh, I mean, now would it have been CG'd up, probably. And then we probably uh, wouldn't have been as interesting. No, it wouldn't have been. Well, that 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 color flashing is is is. Yeah, and that's something. Was this? Do you know uh, when uh, the code? What was? What was this called? Technicolor. Technicolor was. I thought it was called Viva Vista or something. Oh, was it? Uh, it was one of those older film technologies. It was. It was an early co- color. 
Hold on. When color came back in out in the forties, though, right? I don't remember. Yeah. Well, obviously, the Wizard of Oz was 1937, and then it's half. Yeah, color. it had color, and that had the same. It looked like the same color chemistry. Maybe this was a bit better. A little the better. Wizard of Oz color chemistry. Uh, this was a restored film. Actually, strangely, there were. Uh, but it wasn't quite there yet. Technically. No. Vertigo was out of distribution for like 30 years. It was off the grid. Uh, it was one of Hitchcock's lost films. It was um, off the grid. Well, I mean, it, it, nobody had 30, nobody well, had access to it. Well, it was before VHS, so the only access he would have was film prints. It was a rights thing, yeah, and it wasn't reshown for like 30 years until like 1984 or something like that. So uh, it was one of uh, Hitchcock's five lost. They call it the five lost Hitchcocks. What are those? Uh, the man who knew too much. Uh, Rear Window, which those are both Jimmy Stewart movies. Wow. Uh, Rope, which uh, we had talked about but really? haven't seen. And The Trouble with Harry, oh, which I'm that. not sure what that is. So, um, But yeah, that was gone for 30 years. And huh. uh, then it was I meticulously restored in the 90s, which is what we... The, yeah, that film was probably starting to degrade pretty badly. Yeah, and I guess uh, for for the people who you know, were part of that restoration, they were like, it's if Hitchcock could have seen this, he would have been... Uh, delighted because it it's uh, apparently uh, succeeds the or supersedes the original print. It's that good. Um, so we we lo- we're lucky, I guess, to have seen the version we saw, not an older copy, because this one's well. Mark, I mean, Mark's shrugging. He doesn't much. Uh, care. I I have the whole. I sort of. It seems a little false to say that it's better than the original. I mean, Hitchcock made the film knowing what the technology could do. And he made the film with the tool set he had. So saying that if you made the colors look better, whatever that means, later on, how does... Cleaner? I don't know. Yeah, but see, it doesn't quite make sense to me because an artist knows his tool set. And I'm sure that uh, uh, Hitchcock knew what film could do and what his film stock was capable of. And he made the film using those tools on purpose. And sure, if he had made it 20 years later, it would have used different tool set, right? But he made the art with the tools he had. He used, just like a, a great painter, would use the dot, the colors that he had available at whatever time he grew up. And so to say that you could make it better. Well, with, okay. I, I, I just can't, I can't quite believe that. I mean, he made it to be shown in 1958 with the tools he had. Okay. So I, I think that's probably would have been the best way to see it. Right. To I see think a, we're maybe, a fresh print in nineteen fifty eight. We're maybe arguing a little apples and oranges, but No, no, uh, I, I think I think well, anyways, I okay. just think it's a little false to say you can improve right. on what the artist intended originally. All right, all right. Uh anyway. You can remake films and that's cool. But it's not gonna be that artist's vision. Anyway, uh well the thing the Hitchcock and color. The reason that Psycho is black and white is because he shot the bathtub scene with the blood so many times and the color never came out right. He could never do it. And he said, fuck it. Black oh, he switched to black and white. We're doing all black and white. I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't manage. Well, there's a guy making good. decision about his tools. He's like, I can't use this tool. We're doing it all I can't use this brush. I'm going to go use a brush I used a few years ago. So thinking about Psycho in color, I haven't seen the Gus Van Sant remake. I have no intention to see it. I think Gus Van Sant... Is it Gus Van Sant that redid, uh, yeah, he redid Psycho? Yeah, I can't quite remember with Vince Vaughn. Yeah, but I, I, I would think, and he shot it shot for shot. He took the storyboard. Yeah, it was, like a, it was almost like a student exercise. Well, and as Gus Van Sant, if somebody was going to throw money at you, and it's like, remake Psycho shot for shot, I think that would be 
a terrific exercise. Yeah. I'd be like, well, sure, I'll do it. Yeah, it's not going to necessarily make great film. And I think he got some criticism at the time for redoing Psycho, but he was like, Stu's going to throw money at me. I get to basically... Do a deep study. Deep study of uh, of one of the most famous films in history. Mm-hmm. And why not? I'd do it. Shit. Yeah, that's great work. I Good mean, idea. you got the time, and do you think you can learn something from it? I don't know if it was shot in color or not. Probably shot yeah, in color. Shot in color. Yeah, it was had to, I think it was just basically, uh, you know, white, like they remake stuff uh, now. Who plays the woman who gets killed? Oh, Hesh. shit. Hesh. Hesh. I don't know all Anne this. Hesh. Hesh. Anne Hesh? That's, uh... Yeah, Anne Hesh. No, no, Anne Hesh is, uh, 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 the, the, she's, um, Anne Hesh. Hesh. That's what I meant. No, 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 that's not, that's, uh. Oh, Ellen DeGeneres' former lover. Yeah, yeah, she played the woman that gets oh, she was in the there. shower. Oh, yeah. she was in the remake. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think it's about the original. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay, all right. So anyway, um, but we were talking about color and uh, that scene with uh, uh, where she changes into the, the green dress. and. Um, oh, I mean, that's what she's wearing when he comes across Judy. Right. Well, oh, when he comes across Judy, and she has, like, red hair. Mm-hmm. I didn't recognize her, to be honest. Yeah, I'll tell you, she looked a lot different. I think that's just Hitchcock being a genius by putting, making her blonde and putting her in that gray. Her body just looks totally different. And he put her in this green top, just made her look so voluptuous. I didn't recognize that it was uh, Judy until she wrote that letter that she never sent, exposing. Oh, the... well, I don't think we, I, I, he didn't foreshadow. Well, that's a huge turn in this movie. Basically, he reveals what happened. Basically, he took all this uh you know you don't know where the film's going you had this whole supernatural thing which was quite believable and you had uh jimmy stewart's brick and you got 40 minutes left on the film you're going what the fuck's going on yeah and uh you know and then all of a sudden it reveals what happened to you basically the the uh you know the curtains drawn open why was it done there and not later that's one thing i was well i think this is this is a classic early great turn sort of like uh no country for old men we're about two thirds, three quarter of the of the way into the film. There's a huge turn in the plot. Really? What's no that? country for old men. Yeah. What's the turn? I don't even remember. The turn is uh, the Mexicans catch up with uh, what's his name and kill him oh, by the Josh, poolside. The Josh Brolin character. Yeah. The Josh Brolin character. Oh, I thought that was. And it comes. The end of the it, becomes, it goes from a story about Josh Brolin to the story, more of a story about the the uh, Anton Sugar. Sugar. And no, it's more about it's more about a story about the the sheriff. Oh, right, the, the, the Tom I mean, there's a huge there. shift in that movie. A lot of people hated that shift. Uh, and it's very it's very disconcerting. First time I saw it. Oh, my yeah. God, they just killed that character. You don't even see his dead body. You don't see his murder scene. The movie just shifts. It That's just true. takes your gut and turns it around. And this movie does a very similar thing here. I mean, you're going, okay, how's this supernatural thing going to resolve itself? Yeah. Then you still got a third or a quarter of the movie left, and it goes, it resolves like this. Wham! Right. And then that's it. Oh, by the way, allow me to uh, uh, interject a really terrible movie that has a great turn in it. Mm-hmm. Executive Decision starting, starring Kurt Russell and uh, Steven Seagal. <laughs> you're watching it, and you're like, uh, you're like, going, I, why am I watching a Steven Seagal movie? I fucking hate Steven Seagal. Mm-hmm. Steven Seagal's in this? you got to be fucking kidding me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he dies 20 minutes into it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> He's like on this jet that somehow attaches itself to uh, uh, this... this uh, 747 that's been that's been skyjacked and then you know they drill a hole secretly through the bottom of the airplane as if and then uh the plane comes detached and then Ske- steven seagal like flies out and dies in, in midair or oh. falls to his death perfect perfect 
And then I was like, ooh, this is going to be good because now Steven Seagal's out of yeah, it. Yeah, so I, I mean, it. that's fine. But this is no, we're so far kidding. into the just, movie. I'm sorry to bring up that. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know you're making a funny joke, <laughs> but you're not laughing. <laughs> but I'm just talking about the twist. The twist. How wretching this Very, twist is. Right. Yeah. How it, shocking it is. It throws you. It He's threw like, me. Are you serious? So basically, in in the span of about thirty seconds, you're told there's no supernatural element. Uh, Judy was actually playing Maddie. Uh, Jimmy Stewart got screwed over enormously by an old college buddy. Right. Set up. Just like that. You just told it. And all with this terrible, sort of sick look on Judy's face, which Hitchcock just holds this look. Remember she turns sort of the camera and you see like her head at the bottom of the frame and she's got this sort of disgusted look on her face. Like she can't imagine what she did. It's it's and she looks very unattractive. She doesn't, as Judy, she's not particularly, she's definitely nowhere near. Well, I'm just saying the look on her face right there. You're right. She doesn't quite have the beautiful, something about the face is different. Yeah. I mean, the bodies. The hair, obviously. Yeah. But, um, but that is, that is just, that is such a maneuver. That's just a kick in the gut. So my, my thing was, is why wasn't that reveal done later? Why didn't Well, later, how much later would you want to do that? Oh, I see what you mean. Why, why, well, why get, were we told what was happening? Well, where do you get into Scotty's head more? Like you, you, it, cause if you didn't, if you weren't told via that, that sort of narration with the, with the letter right there at the beginning of the Judy sequence of this film, which is like the last 40, 45 minutes of this film, which mm-hmm. is, uh, Judy Scotty. Um, no, it's only, it's only about 40 minutes. Is it? It's even, I think it might be less. I think it might be more like 35 minutes. Okay. Why, why aren't you allowed to, st- to stand in Scotty's shoes up to uh, a certain point and be kind of uh, uh, let on like he was. Why do we get why do we get let in way before Scotty's aware of it? Yeah, I mean, it would if if boy if he didn't reveal it, we would have had to take the trip with Scotty yeah. where he turns on a dime when he sees the necklace. Yeah. We would have had to take that trip. Yeah. Got to be tough. Okay. And plus, I think it, I think Kitchark's maybe trying to induce pity in the viewer to realize that Scotty's being an asshole and he's obsessed and he's become basically sort of a detestable human being. Uh, and this way we can sort of forgive him and pity him. And maybe that's what they want to do. I mean, I did not want to pity him. I wanted to be disgusted by him. Yeah, but he's pretty, he's pretty, uh, offensive during his, uh, you know, basically making her up to be the dead woman. I mean, I know. I think that's maybe why Hitchcock gave you gave us that term, so we can see his offensive behavior and his detestable behavior, but we could pity him because he was given a egregious hurt. Well, and by he, the same woman that he's treating so badly. He's a he's uh, at the will of his obsession. Yeah, it gives us a reason why he's obsessed to forgive him. Well, forgive and, him his obsession, and he's also broken halfway through the movie, or he's yeah. broken. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's for pity. I think okay. it gives us, it gives people an emotional out to do more than just hate him. Yeah, all right. You know okay. what I mean? Sure. I still, I didn't want to pity him, and I fought against it. Yeah. But maybe that's the point. But Sure. Anyways, so, as always, when we come to the end of uh, the yeah. main part of our well, discussion, he, I'd like to go back, and, or do you just have something no, else? No, I just, I, I don't know what you're going to, what, what review... Oh, I got, I got a couple up. different reviews. But um, I'd like to address, since it's uh, sort of um, uh, not timely, but uh, current, the decision to call it 
the greatest film of all time and is it even is it deserving of that title well um i don't know maybe we can take a look at a couple reviews let's do it Okay, so the first review we're going to read is actually, it's by Variety Staff. There's actually not an author associated with it. What uh, date was it? 1958. Ah, uh, so, uh, NC2 review. Yeah, so uh, at the time of Vertigo's release, it was kind of like any other movie, um, obviously, to reach its title of the most, the, you know, the, the, the best movie of all time takes some uh, ma- maturing, I well, guess. Well, this glass has got to have a little time to... Become rose in colors. The whiskey needs some time to age in the cask. Uh, mm-hmm. At the time, it was just, uh, it was a genre film. And I, reading a little bit about the British Film Institute's decision is uh, Citizen Kane isn't a, isn't a genre film. It's a, you know, it's like a genre, or it's a drama that we typically associate with Oscar winners that kind of don't have that genre label. And genre has always been sort of a, ghetto of fiction, whether it's novels or film. Uh, this was yeah. a uh, psychological thriller. It was a mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could, you would find, I think its source material was a French novel that would have probably been found in the uh, mystery, mystery section. Mystery section, yeah. Exactly. So, Has um, some twists and turns. Yeah, so um, that's kind of the lens it was viewed through at the yeah, time. There's no reason it shouldn't be. Uh, so here's some comments. Uh Stewart on camera almost constantly throughout the film's 126 minutes comes through with a startling fine performance as the lawyer cop. I just love the adjective. Startlingly fine. <laughs> well, I mean, we're going to have some. I know. Miss Novak, shop, go- shop girl who involves Stewart in what turns out to be a clear case of murder, is interesting under Hitchcock's direction. It's just kind of funny. Um... Uh, throughout all of his runs, Hitchcock's directional hand, cutting, angling... Oh, wait a minute. I got that. The beat wrong on that one. Through all of this runs Hitchcock's directional hand, cutting, angling, and gimmicking with mastery. Gimmicking with mastery? Gimmicking. I guess that's probably that. It's a good use of the word gimmicking. That might be the zoom. Yeah. Zoom out, zoom in. Yeah, what do you call it? It's like, uh, oh, God, did you ever see uh, the movie, uh, how it was a Will Ferrell movie about uh, professional basketball? What was the name of that movie? I didn't see that, actually. Oh, oh, it's like about the, like the, the tropics. Oh, I forget the name of the movie. But okay. anyways, uh, it uh, there's a scene in the movie where the alley oop is invented. Are you, you familiar <laughs> okay. with the alley oop? Yeah, the alley oop. Where, where you, you underhand throw the, and overhand. Well, you, no, you throw the ball up next to the uh, next to the oh, hoop, and then some guy comes it. flying through the air and sl- grabs yeah. it and slams it. Right. And uh, and <laughs> like the sportscasters that are they they see it. They didn't have no words for it because they've never heard of it before. <laughs> okay. It's like some, we're not really sure. The game stops. We're not really sure what just happened. <laughs> but you can sort of see where you've seen a, what do you call something you've never seen before? Sure. You yeah, know, exactly. It's tough to get those, the words don't exist yet. Unfortunately, even that mastery is not enough to overcome one major fault. For the plain fact is that the film's first half is too slow and too long. I mean, when they say probably the first half, they mean up to the twist. Sure. Uh, interesting. I didn't think that. I thought it was a little slow. Really? Yeah. Oh, I guess you were kind of said you were yawning a bit. Yeah, I think some of the shots were Well, and that's always my main complaint about older films, is the pacing is always off, because... Well, maybe the pacing was even slow, even by that time. Interesting. Uh... Yeah, I could see where ten minutes could have been shaved off. So, some of the reasoning, uh, that the reviewer says for the, uh, 
the slow nature of the film is that uh, maybe because one Hitchcock became overly enamored with the vertiginous vertiginous mm-hmm. beauty of San Francisco. I like that word. Or a Frisco. Using the word Frisco. Yeah, which they use Frisco uh, in that review? Yeah, Frisco, which is uh, probably a New Yorker jabbing at San Francisco because... Uh, I always fr- think of Hell's Angels when I think of Frisco. Frisco, oh yeah. Well, I'm thinking of... Uh, the Hunter S. Thompson Hunter novel. S. Thompson book. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, Hell's Angels. Hell's Angels, yeah. yeah. Frisco, you don't call it San Fran, you don't call it Frisco because you'll be immediately corrected once you enter the... Which always seems weird to me, like, that they malign those uh, nicknames of their city. Really, do you give a shit? That is officially a problem I don't give a shit about. Like, I've heard people call Seattle, <laughs> Seattle, Seatown. I don't give a shit. You can call it call it a shithole for all I care. Yeah. I, I once called Spokane, Spokaloo. I and, thought it was uh, Spookaloo. Spookaloo, whatever. Oh, no, it is Spookaloo. Spookaloo. Right. And uh, our our friend Will uh, turned at me, did a double take, and was like, what are you talking about? Nobody calls that. Nobody calls Spokane Spokaloo. I, I never heard it except from you. And now I think about that. Spokaloo. Every time I think about Spokane. Okay. And uh, Spokanistan. That's another one. Oh, that's but, a good one. Yeah. Well, you just like coming up with goofy words. That's your dad coming that's out of you. That's my dad. And much to Rose's uh, <laughs> chagrin. I like that part of your dad. <laughs> uh, two, uh, another reason for it being slow, maybe two, uh, the Alec Koppel Samuel Taylor screenplay from the novel, D'Enchance Les Mots which means uh, the living of the dead or living among the dead or something like that, mm. by Pierre Ballou and Thomas Narciac. Wow, you really, man, how do you, do you speak French? No, I just murdered those <laughs> names. Can you tell? Okay. Uh, it takes too long to get off the ground. Um, let's see, some other comments. Uh, Stuart goes off his rocker. <laughs> does go off his rocker. And winds up i got to start using that saying again. rocker. Winds up in a mental institution. When he comes out still a trifle unbalanced, he keeps hunting for... Uh, a rifle. For a girl who resembles the dead girl, eventually yeah. finds her, and in a rip-snorting denouement. <laughs> rip-snorting. <laughs> discovers he's been tricked. Uh, oh, attention, by the way, if you're reading this review, spoilers. I, I, I This just totally... Did they use the word spoilers? No, there? but this this review, uh, if you open up your variety, go, what shall we go see tonight? Uh, dear, uh, and then you're... Yeah, I think we go to the point where spoilers are sort of... It's, and then you, they're overplayed these Then you days. read this, and then you get fucked. Uh, eventually finds her in a rip-snorting denouement, discovers he's been tricked. Uh, that this is this girl is indeed his supposedly dead mystery woman. Well, they don't leave anything for yeah, the imagination. Yeah, yeah don't... Don't, yeah, don't this worry This is a about. review, like, just after the film comes <laughs> out. Well, maybe this is why uh, Hitchcock's... You know, they read the Variety View and said, fuck it, I'm not going. Maybe they just gave films away back then. Um, with the ship, okay, so I'm <laughs> losing my pacing here. That the girl is indeed his supposedly dead mystery woman who, with the shipbuilder, played on Stuart's, played on Stuart's fear of height to allow the shipbuilder to well, push his wife off the mission bell tower. Yeah. Bad grammar. I, yeah, no, anyway. no spell checker back then in 1958, or grammar check, okay. But by then, more than two hours have gone by, and it's questionable whether that much time should be devoted to what is basically only a psychological murder mystery. So this is the genre tag that the movie got that uh, tended to... Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not, um, the, not the... I think that makes some good points about uh, some of the problems with the film. Frisco location scenes, whether of Knob Hill, interior of Ernie's Restaurant, Land's End, downtown Mere Woods, Mission Dolores, or San Juan Bautista, are absolutely authentic and breathtaking. Yeah, there's some nice... <clears throat> yeah. But these also tend to intrude on the story too heavily, giving a travelogish effect at times. So, um, well, maybe films didn't quite do location as much back then. Surprised they're so forgiving of uh, 
of Jimmy Stewart's behavior. Sort of goes back to maybe it was... He was off his rocker, man. Yeah, yeah, but that's just after that. But, you know, him being a total dick and controlling, they don't seem to have a big problem with that. Maybe it was more acceptable male behavior then. Ah, very well could have been. I mean, tough to say. All right. Well, anyway, so uh, Ebert reviewed... You got a twofer today. Twofer one. Ebert uh, gave a rather lengthy... Hindsight review in 96. All right. So since it's been so long since we've read anything by Ebert, I thought I should take a look. I'm just going to grab a few things out of here because it's actually a rather lengthy uh, All right. uh, essay. Uh, I'll just read the first uh, paragraph, though. I think it sets okay. it up. He starts with a quote from the movie. Did he train you? Did he rehearse you? Did he tell you what to do and what to say? This happens at the, the final scene sure, where they're right. climbing a bell tower. This cry from a wounded heart comes at the end of Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, and by that time, we are completely in sympathy. Interesting. All right, <laughs> A man has fallen in love with a woman who does not exist, and now he cries out harshly against the real woman who impersonated her. But there is so much more to it than that. The real woman has fallen in love with him. In tricking him, she has tricked herself. Okay. And the man, by preferring his dream to the woman standing before him, has lost both. Hmm. I don't know about the complete sympathy part. No. I mean, I like how it, in tricking him, she tricked herself. That's true. She sort oh, yeah. of yeah. She fucks herself over by really falling in love with him. Right. Probably because she's just sort of, well, we talked about her, yeah. her, her shortcomings. Right. Uh, and then he, then he goes on to t- uh, talk for a few par- paragraphs about Alfred Hitchcock himself. He talks about the women he put in his films, which I'm not terribly familiar with. He says they were blonde, they were icy and remote. They were imprisoned in costumes that subtly combined fashion and fetishism. Interesting. They mesmerized the men who often had physical or psychological handicaps. Sooner or later, every Hitchcock woman is humiliated. A little misogyny going on with the old Hitchcock. The Hitch. He says that uh, this movie is... uh, as far as Hitchcock is concerned, the most confessional of his films. Okay. Dealing directly with the themes that controlled his art. It is about, and he puts that in quotes, how Hitchcock used, feared, and tried to control women. Oh. He says, Scotty, the Jim Stewart's character, is in fact himself, represents Hitchcock himself, who falls obsessively in love with an image of a woman. Uh, the quintessential Hitchcock one. Interesting. Uh, he, he cares nothing about... He talks about how his control... When he, when he cannot have her, he finds another woman and tries to mold her, dress her, train her, change her makeup and hair. He cares I, nothing about the clay he is shaping. Can I stop he you He will for a gladly second? sacrifice her at, on the altar of his dream. I'm going to stop you for a second. Uh, interesting part about the casting. Uh, Hitchcock originally wanted Vera Miles to play Madeline but she had become pregnant and couldn't do the film. And he was like completely like blown over. Uh, it, it, he was totally, I don't know. He, it, so he had to get, uh, he had Kim Novak. troubles with women. He had to get Kim, Kim Novak, but it was sort of like, uh, Woody Allen sometimes has these obsessions with actresses that star in his film. Like, uh, Scarlett Johansson was one of them. So he put her in like three or four films, Yeah, kind of worked films around her. Cause he's just, you know, I guess attracted professionally, but probably really attracted to 
the the, the mm-hmm. actress um, and kind of wants to mold her to his vision. And so Alfred Hitchcock was this way with Vera Miles. So when she had to bow out, he was distraught yeah. and uh, uh, got Kim Novak and um, wasn't wasn't really 100% happy with, with her as the actress, but had to make do, and he molded her to be Madeline. So a little bit uh, analogous there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like how the this last sentence, I know you were thinking about that, but about how he cares nothing about the clay he is shaping. Maybe that's how he felt about, Hitchcock felt about Kim Novak. Possibly, yeah. He'll sacrifice her sure. to shape her properly. Yeah, interesting. And, uh, yeah, so I thought that's an interesting thing. I didn't see it first in the film, but I do like uh, that uh, Ebert seems to have seen that. Uh, he talks about uh, some of the affectations of Jimmy Stewart. He has some good sentences here. His eyes burn with zealous fixation. Wow. You sure you didn't read the review beforehand? No, no, no. Okay. Judy realizes that Scotty is indifferent to her as a person and only sees her as an object. Which I think is right. Yeah. I mean, she, he, that horror that she feels, you can feel it. He treats objects as women, man. <laughs> but you can see that horror in her eyes where she's trying so uh, desperately to make it work and she knows yeah. she's nothing but a a vessel that he's filling with his ideas. It's, it's, it's You see that fear on her eyes. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, what am I be- letting myself become? Right. Um, he talks about, uh, you know, uh, this is the scene where he's really getting her dressed up there in her apartment where he finally makes her do up her hair yeah, and she's yeah, in the gray. Yeah. And uh, Hitchcock cuts back and forth between Novak's face, showing pain and sorrow, and Stewart's. In a rapture of lust and gratified control. Weird. That's a nice. That really sums it's it up. It's almost masturbatory describing yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. And then he talks about that scene that happens right after that, where they're still in the apartment and the, the camera circles around. As Scotty embraces the remade Maddie, the background changes to reflect his subjective memories instead of the real room he's in. Remember, as it pans yeah. around, you see the, a bit of the inside of that stable. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then yeah, back to the apartment. Exactly. Um, anyways, he says, this shot, in its psychological, artistic, and technical complexity, I'm not sure how he did it, maybe one, <clears throat> maybe the one time in his career, he's talking about Hitchcock, that uh, he completely reveals himself. Mm, okay. And all, all of his passions and sadness. I don't, I don't uh, quite see no. all that. It's right. a nice sentence, though. Uh, see, so just to sum up, he says Vertigo's a great film. Uh, and he talks a little bit about Judy's character, which I think is interesting. Uh, from the moment we are let in on the secret, the twist, the movie is equally about Judy. Her pain, her loss, the trap she's in. Hitchcock so cleverly manipulates the story that when the two characters climb that mission tower, we identify with both of them. Uh, and fear for both of them, and even though Judy is less guilty. Well, than and Scotty. maybe that's but why. you're right. You, you sort of worry about both of them. Like right. you know, is I mean, is, is Scotty really finally broken? What's he going to do up there? Yeah, right. Is, how bad is the madness script? And then Judy, oh, she's boy, she let herself go down that garden path too far. She's so, in serious trouble. And, and maybe that's why the reveal comes at the point it does in the film, and not later. So we're not in uh, Scotty's shoes, but we're in Judy's for that that uh well sort of in both i mean in a way you identify with the the animalistic madness that is masculinity right and you deal with the you know getting yourself too deep in a terrible situation really fucked up 
You sure. let yourself get in too deep. You can imagine yourself being in some situation where, man, oh, things have gotten out of hand. And you keep going down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty so, wild. I, um, I like that. I hadn't really thought about that. Right. We really are worrying about both characters at that point. I think uh, I think you're you're much more astute when it comes to characters in film than I am because you hit pretty much everything right on the head about uh, Scotty's character being what he is, you know, as far as unsympathetic and sort of driven to his urges. And uh, Yeah, I really wanted to hate him because he lets, he lets the animal out. Yeah, it's yeah. a dangerous thing to let out. You gotta, you gotta, I mean, I don't know, maybe the animal's closer to the surface with me, so I think about it more. You know, it's, sure. it's wrangling. I mean, it sure. becomes unconscious most of the time. You just don't let it out. But uh, it's still yeah. there, and I, it's sort of disgusting when guys do let it out. All right, I'm going to hit a few lighter notes before we finish out here. Uh, <laughs> there, um, when they're talking about the history of San Francisco, Midge and uh, Scotty, she makes a reference to gay old San Francisco as being something in the past, <laughs> which I oh. thought was pretty hilarious. Yeah. There's words of change. <laughs> That's right. Because yeah. I was watching this and I was like, just think, this is a San Francisco. This is just before the Harvey Milk stuff. That was in the 60s? I don't know. That was 70s, oh, I Oh, that was 70s? I, I mean, this was the San Francisco before uh, maybe maybe some of the Beats, maybe a little Kerouac's, mm. a few Kerouac's wandering yeah, around. just floating in. Uh, definitely no hippies. Uh, sort of yeah. maybe a nascent counterculture it's movement. It's coming. If, it's coming like a freight train. Um, the whole gay movement that occurs in the Castros, with Castro, which was like in the 70s, off the radar, completely gone. There's, there's, That's not even anywhere near being in San Francisco's... Uh, uh, reality in 1958, mm. and uh, it's just—it seems anyway. So she said, "Gay old San Francisco," and I just kind of howled a little bit. I thought mm. that was pretty funny. Um, another thing, I mentioned it, but uh, our standard of beauty in the 50s was extremely different than it is now. With uh, uh, really, yeah, because I mean, Kim Novak is. She's a voluptuous, sort of well-rounded, <laughs> unexercised. I, I uh, mean, beauty of the I, 50s. I guess maybe I don't know. I. I I don't really find myself particularly matching up with what people supposedly purport as the ideal woman's body. Uh, Hairless and incredibly oh, no, no. low body fat percentage. Yeah, little boys. Right. But, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely, I think I would have been much more at home uh, with my attractions in the 50s than I am now because... Uh, uh, but, but there's plenty of beautiful, voluptuous women out there. I'm a Marilyn Monroe man. That's all I gotta say. I'm a Betty Page man. You like them all drugged up and stupid? <laughs> well, that too. Look, I know no, that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> me. Anyway, but uh, yeah, now we get uh, weird, emaciated. Uh, yeah, they, they're pretty skinny. I, I, I call it. I call it Dachau chic. Well, I mean, it's not really that way because usually there's pretty good musculature because there's a lot of working out. A lot of working it's just out. The body, but... the body fat is like about. Three or four percent too low. It's weird. People, uh, but the, but the whole thing, there's that one woman that was on the cover of uh, the Sports Illustrated. What's her name? Oh wow, she's got a she's got a more natural body fat really? percentage. I forget her name. I've seen some pictures of her floating around the internet. She looks pretty good. Yeah, it's not you can't really see her abdominal muscles. Okay, she's fit, but she doesn't have that real low masculine body fat percentage. I think that really makes all the difference. Yeah, I'm more of a uh... Kate Winslet more than uh, I am. It all comes down to body fat. Eh, it's just, it, it, it takes a lot of diet. It's tough. I know. Anyway, uh, Not everybody can be as svelte as I am. <sighs> Damn straight, dude. How do you do it? What's your regimen? 
Uh, lots of cheese and breads. <laughs> Hear that, kids? So, uh, you know. If you and wanna... some DQ. <laughs> some soft serve. <laughs> some DQ. Just to top it off. Uh, let's see. Um, I, you know, I don't have much other... We've kind of covered everything. Uh, best. Yeah, I think at the best film hour of all twenty-four. Time. I think we've. Uh, oh, geez. We've okay, much yeah, let's get it. Uh, another note, folks. If you don't want to watch uh, Vertigo, uh, one of my favorite bands of all times did a uh, parody of the, the the film, and I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, I was watching uh, uh, Faith No More videos online. What was the name of the song? Uh, Last Cup of Sorrow. And uh, yeah, I guess I, I didn't quite see what they were trying to do when I watched that video. It's Faith No More, man. You just gotta. Look, I like it. I like my Faith No More every once in a, well, hardly it, ever. It, it, it has these days. <laughs> I, I got it in the car right now. I don't know. I need good driving music, so Faith No, no, no More supplies no, it. Uh, I got some good albums. Yeah, it's a it's a fun video. You can yeah, find it on YouTube, fun. and uh, it's a uh, basically um, uh, actually uh, the Kim Novak part in the video is played by uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. That's who that is. Yeah, yeah an, not, odd, an odd, an I did pick. not recognize. I that. don't know why she would have picked up that job. Well, that was a like long time ago. Ninety-seven. Oh, was that, that ninety-seven? Not that long ago. It looked. Uh, it looked earlier than that. It's like, hey, Jen, you want to? You know, we're 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 doing a we're doing a, a parody of uh, Vertigo huh. in a in a in a Faith No More video. You want to want to sign up? So uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, it's fun. So. Um, for the outro, we're going to do that. But uh, next week, oh yeah, yeah, we yeah. can't really talk about it, but we're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> if you haven't guessed it, Fight Club. So uh, uh, one of my favorite movies of all or time. Or How to Make Soap. How to Make Soap. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I love me some Fight Club. So when you're on a plane uh, and you're getting out of your window seat, do you give them the front or do you give them the butt? I say you got to get up because I can't get the fuck past you because the seats are too close together. <laughs> That's how it happens. I don't know what kind of plane they're flying on. I think they're actually in the exit row. Oh. But, uh, yeah, there's no ass or crotch on any planes these days unless you're not even in first class. If somebody has to get out, everybody gets up. So if you have a sleeping fatso sitting next to you just snoring and you got to wake that turd up, it's a pain in the ass. So I always try to get an aisle seat. But, uh, yeah, anyway. So uh, Fight Club next week. And uh, until then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.